Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. Hey, it's Wyatt. Yes, asking for your help. If you like the show and enjoy the content, please hit the five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. Please consider writing a quick review on the Talent Tank Facebook page, on YouTube, and absolutely on Apple Podcasts. And consider joining the discussions in the Talent Tank Insiders group on Facebook. All right, let's get to it. All right, here we go. Another installment of the Talent Tank. When you clicked on today's episode, you probably said, who in the world is Nate Jesse? He is the 802 driver of a 4400 car. It's a uh, bomber fab car, and I've got him on. He hails out of Maryland, even though he's an Indiana guy. We'll get into that. Good morning, Nate. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, Wyatt. How are you? You know, living the dream down here on the Gulf Coast. Some of my neighbors got, you know, over three feet of, of rain yesterday, and so they're flooded out. But here in my neck of the woods, we are, we are okay. So when I sat down to do the talent tank, I... You know, threw my hat over the the fence, and I said, "You know what? I looked, and there's 12 weeks between Labor Day and Thanksgiving, and I put a target down on those 12. I said, you know, there were some guys I knew that I was going to get, but there's also some uh, genres I wanted to get, and one of those genres I wanted to get a rookie on. I wanted to get somebody's take that was, you know, new to the industry, new to the sport, new to and how he got there. And so this is uh, this guy, Nate Jesse." Man, he's got a he's got a ridiculous amount of stories. Some of them, I mean, obviously they were good enough to throw the hook in me and say, "Man, I got to get this guy on. This is the guy. This is our rookie that we're going to be talking about." So buckle up. Here we go, Nate. Right off the bat, your King of the Hammers. This past year was your first one, 2019 racing. So here you are. You're gonna you're qualified for 2020. You're on course. It's after the green flag, and you catch Randy Slauson. How hard do you nerf him? Catch Randy Slauson. What? Wow. Oh, I know <laughs> so you, you don't even, you don't think you'll catch Randy. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on. Where I get it? it now. I understand what you're saying. This year's King of the Hammers yeah, got to catch him. King of the Hammers. You are on course and you catch him. Do you go through your head and say, oh, crap, I must be going way too damn fast for what I should be going? Or you just say, I'm faster than Randy and I hit him. What do you do? <laughs> I'd give him a love tap for sure, and then wave, and we'd uh, we smile, I'm sure about it. It'd be good. <laughs> Do you think Randy would let you buy? Uh, I don't think so at all. No, and Randy, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> he'd burn the car to the ground. <laughs> right. You're damn right he would. <laughs> and, and then he'd go into your pit and throw donuts and throw gravel all over uh, all your pit crew. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's even if you guys are sharing pit crew. He is not above throwing gravel on his own pit crew. He is. <laughs> that's the love that Randy's going to share. Oh, man. I love Randy. I met Randy for the first time in 2009 at Vegas Torino. Uh, we were racing the long way. We had a three-car team, and he was one of the cars. It was his first Bomber Fab car that uh, went to Ben Napier, the the Aussie. So anyway, uh, that's a good laugh. Caught you off guard, but you uh, you still gave me a good answer. All right. <laughs> All right. So, Nate, you grew up in Indiana. Now you race 4,400. You were a rookie this past year. You went out in 2018 to King of the Hammers and hung out with some guys. Got bit by the bug. Good. Absolutely. We're definitely going to talk about that. You came back, end up with Bomber Fab, you end up with Randy, and you end up buying a car and showing up to LCQ in 2019. It didn't go 
Well, I mean, it didn't go the way you wanted it to. It went the way that the majority of the field goes. Right. Still good stories, though, at the end of the day. And then you went back. You ran the East Series with Hammer King. I believe you finished fourth in the point series. Yes, or, in fourth right now. Nice. I mean, dude, rookie right out of the gate, fourth. And you're qualified for KOH 2020. So we know exactly. that's, we, that's coming at you like a freight train. It is. It absolutely is. Indiana. Growing up, you playing sports? Yeah. So uh, I grew up in northern Indiana, a small little uh, map dot town up there called Laporte, Indiana. It's about uh, 20 miles outside of South Bend. Yeah, I played football growing up, being a uh, full-size mature adult. I, uh, I uh, was a big boy growing up. You're a big guy. I am. I am. I was Actually, that was one of the nervous things I had about going out and seeing the bomber for the first time getting in it. It was uh, a little challenging. I know Randy and me, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to fit, but actually I fit in the car pretty well, too. Any other interest? I mean, what what did you do? As a, you have any summer jobs? Yeah. So growing up, my family has a trucking company in northern Indiana. Uh, it's been in the family since about 1957. Dad runs it now. And growing up, I had the opportunity to work there summers and uh, learned a heck of a lot. Full mechanic shop, worked on all the own equipment, grew up kind of around those guys and kind of fell in love with wrenching on things. And, and these guys were kind of like the old school mechanics, right? They were the, the stethoscope type uh, things that could stick the little prong on the on the cylinder and tell you what valves drop in and exactly how the engine's doing. It was pretty cool to grow up in that kind of environment. And then kind of worked my up through the ranks of his company. Started out mowing grass as a, as a kid and picking up trash in the ditches and whatnot, and he'd give me a buck or two for doing that. And then as I got older and older, he let me start getting more involved in changing oil in the trucks, washing them, that kind of stuff, and then ended up working on the dock all the way through high school. Turned 18, uh, got a CDL, and was able to drive truck then around Indiana. Spent a lot of time doing that. Funded a lot of my college and uh, my uh, college events, so um, basically building some buggies and whatnot during the college years. And you know, It was a good, good upbringing. Uh, spent a lot of time around a lot of good people and uh we had a lot of fun i mean it was a small town so we did a lot of stuff outdoors really enjoyed the outside atmosphere of what we got to do growing up so that's how you cut your teeth on being a mechanic and knowing at least your mechanical aptitude you got it right yeah. there in the trucking company yeah my dad's probably gonna kill me for saying it but dad has like zero mechanical aptitude so he has uh he actually takes all his stuff to people usually his guys in the shop but uh it was uh it was nice to have those folks around to kind of cut my teeth and teach me a lot so in the pits, you know, during a race, you actually, or even during prep, you, you know which end of the screwdriver works and, which, and what the 10 millimeter looks like, right? Yeah, absolutely. I got I got to brag too real quick on my wife. So Tina, uh, my wife, she actually, she didn't know much about cars, automotive, anything really. And when we got together now about four years ago, she really kind of got into it too. And I tell you what, I'm pretty dang proud of her. She uh, she knows about as much as I do at this point and can rebuild a spider tracks front end. And she knows torque specs on the whole car. And it's, it's pretty cool to have somebody by my side like that. Uh, you're going to have a lot of people sliding in, into her DMs after this going, oh man, this is yeah, the dream yeah, morning, right? right? <laughs> you better protect her good. We're going to change your name for, uh, you know, for... Witness protection for Tina after yeah, this Yeah, witness one. protection. <laughs> that's the right word for it. You grew up uh, around the trucking company doing mechanical stuff. Man, you have a CDL. That's pretty awesome. It helps with the toter home. Been pulled over a couple times and being able to say, it's class A, I'm good, don't, don't bother me. They're, they're pretty cool about that, so... <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You end up in college, you end up going to Purdue. And I've always wondered this about Purdue. I know it's a good mechanical school. I heard lots of good mechanical engineering stuff about that, but I have no idea. What is a Boilermaker? Yeah. So this is pretty funny, actually. Back in the day, 1800s, uh, I think the latter part of it, the Purdue Boilermakers got 
a bunch of bad press for beating up on a lot of the schools around him in football and sports. And the rumor was that Purdue was going up and down the Wabash River, hiring people from the factories, the boilers, the foundries, and putting them on the football team. So it started out kind of as like this headline where they were making this joke about, you know, all these Purdue boilermakers beating up on the Wabash college guys, et cetera, et cetera. And it was really just, uh, it was a fake, it's fictitious, but it's stuck. And it's it's the Purdue boilermakers. You got the train, the guy, Purdue Pete, the whole nine yards it stuck till till now obviously college mascots you always wonder where they come from and that one uh is one i you know i know i could easily have hit google and wikipedia it up it never crossed my mind enough to do so but i've always been i guess morbidly curious about that like how, how does that come to be you tell people you go to purdue too or you went to purdue and uh it's funny they either say it's you know you is that the drink right like you know you drop the shot in the beer and you chug it that's not what the college is named for they think it's some sort of school out east which now it's in the middle of a cornfield in west lafayette Indiana. Right. So you uh, you went to college there at Purdue and you have a degree in aeronautical engineering is what I'm seeing. What on earth is aeronautical engineering? Yeah, so it's aeronautical-based engineering technologies, what the degree's in, and it's, it's pretty cool. So it was, it was really hands-on. I mentioned I worked, grew up in the trucking industry, and I went to college and, and didn't want to do that. I didn't want to go into business or do anything around that type of deal and said, I want to kind of do something different. I started taking flight lessons to be a pilot in my senior year of high school. Um, ended up getting a private pilot's license, so I was interested in aviation. Purdue had a really good program that allowed you to actually work on aircraft and aircraft components, engines, wings, ailerons, the whole nine yards, and that was this aviation-based engineering technology program they had. And the cool part was is that it was much more than just book work and everything else. I'm, I'm not a big fan of sitting in a room still for a bunch of hours. So this allowed me to get a set of tools, go into classroom setting, and actually work on things like jet aircraft engines and whatnot. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm so fascinated by people's backgrounds and how they, what their mechanical aptitude is and how they got it. And usually it's just curiosity. And the, these guys that are super curious end up you know, now they're competing at the top of the Ultra 4 food chain because they build their own cars. They Nothing's ever good enough. We're going to try this. We're going to prototype this. Then if it doesn't work, this is how we're going to make it better. Break it and redo it. Exactly. Break it and redo it. While you were there at Purdue, you end up involved with the Purdue Off-Road Club, Pork. There's some guys that came out of that group that I know, such as like Jonathan Terhune. I know him. He's a He's a known racer. Where did you fall in with that crew? Yeah, so freshman year at Purdue, I had bought a yellow TJ. It was in 2002, and I ended up heading down to Purdue with my TJ that first semester down there. I saw this call out for the Purdue Off-Road Club. We actually met on top of a parking garage one night. It was like a Wednesday night or something, and that's where I met Terhune and a bunch of other really good guys. Everybody kind of had their their stock TJ, stock XJ, stock YJs kind of, you know, sitting maybe on 31s or something. It was, a, it was pretty cool to sit there and talk to these guys about, you know, just off-roading in general. And they, they wanted to start a club. And, and Terhune was part of the uh, the founding class or the founding group of the Purdue Off-Road Club, which was pretty neat. So I ended up going and joining. Um, wasn't too active that first year, but during that first year as well, I also met my, my co-driver now. So Brant Irwin, uh, he sits in the right seat. He was actually my dorm neighbor first day of college, met him. He's the guy next door. I remember first time meeting him thinking, this guy's pretty cool. We're going to get along. He was from a small town in Ohio, loved off-road and loved the outdoors. So it worked out pretty well to, to meet him then too. As I progressed through the years at Purdue, sophomore year, junior years, when I really got back into the off-road club, we started doing some really cool things too. I mean, I think back on it, you know, this is a, 
we were big into pirate, so we, we all cruised the forums, Villa Vista Tech, and we were looking at like Dan Dibble and all the other guys on pirate and just drooling all over like everything. And we're, we're a bunch of poor college kids, right? Like we were eating ramen noodles and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We're like, we can't afford this stuff, but maybe if we start learning how to do more of it, building four links, building three links, taking springs off of different vehicles and putting them on ours and seeing what we can do. We started doing that. Sophomore year, ended up buying an old uh, CJ7, and this thing was clapped out. It was bad. I mean, it was really, it was horrible. Drove out to the East Coast to get it, so took my 1500 pickup truck and small little trailer that it probably shouldn't have ridden on, and we drove out to the East Coast and picked up this Junker CJ, brought it back to Purdue, and, and man, we ripped it apart. Pretty fortunate that we had a friend that had a, uh, a wife at that point in a uh, townhouse, and, and you could see that electric meter outside his townhouse just spinning and the blue glow from the garage for like miles away. It was unbelievable. We took that CJ and we turned it into something that's pretty cool. So it actually ended up having a uh, a four link rear end that we we built ourselves in that garage without even really knowing what the hell we were doing. We wheeled the heck out of that. That was my uh, that's a rig I sold. That you know you, you think back on some of them you've gotten rid of over the years, and that's one that I I really wish was still in the fleet for sure. Yeah. So that first meeting or that time in that era when you would intro- you'd be at an off road event and you would introduce yourself by your pirate screen name. That was yeah, black and blue five hundred two. That was me. That was the only way people knew who you were. Co-driver's brand. He's Viper 13. Yep. That's how you did it, right? You go down to the uh, four-wheel parts, crawl every fall, or you go down to the 4 by 4 by 4 Jamboree in Indy, and you're all shaking hands with everybody. And you're like, what, what's your handle on Pirate, man? Yeah, okay. I mean, our world, you know, it was so centric to so many of our lives for way more than a decade. It's still going on. I mean, Pirate is still alive today. Oh, for sure. It's just not exactly what it used to be. I always love that, you know, when you flash back to that, who are you on Pirate? I know you're on there. Yeah. And that's how my group of friends are. You know, I run around with a group of guys called uh, the TGTW. It started out as two guys, a torch and a welder. And now there's, <laughs> now there's five of us. So it's FG doesn't really work. It's TGTW. And, you know, that group of guys, every single one of us has a screen name. You know, we've raced off-road. We've raced uh, lemons together for better part of decades now at this point. But you end up sharing, you know, blood, sweat, and beers with those guys. And you end up forging relationships that hold for life. And there you go. You It's named Brant, I believe. Yeah, Brant Irwin. Yeah. Yeah, Brant Irwin. Yeah, you forged, you know, from first day of freshman year at Purdue to now you guys ride around the hammers together yelling at each other in your helmets, right? Uh, yeah, he yells at me more than I yell at him in that regard. But yes, it, it happens like that. Even Terhoon, but flashing back to that for a sec, uh, meeting him freshman year, I never thought that I'd be, you know, 36, 37 years old here. And he's now a huge part of my life. And I think he's one of the reasons back in 18, when I went to my first hammers, he let me crash on, on the floor of his RV. I credit him or actually blame him. Not sure what the word is yet, but for the racing addictions, 100% uh, attributed to those guys pulling me out there for sure. He is a good dude. Back in that era, wreck wheeling, you had your CJ. Where were you guys hitting up there? I mean, I'm assuming the Badlands. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. Having a CDL, I, uh, so I guess, well, Badlands first. So, so Badlands was about 45 minutes from Purdue. And so we'd be able to go down there on weekends and, and we would just wheel the crap out of our vehicles. I mean, and, and some of us had tra- trailers, some of us didn't. I mean, we'd they'd drive the, the wreck wheeler to the park and we'd either drive it or drag it home, depending upon how the day went. But we would leave on a Friday morning after having a good Friday night up at campus and we'd, we'd wheel all day Saturday and then head back down Sunday. And we, we had to wheel, oh my gosh, probably 20 to 25 weekends a year. Um, we were out at that park doing something and, and, and playing and having a good time. And, you know, we were fortunate back then. Troy was a really good dude at, at uh, at the Badlands, and he took care of us too. I mean, he really did. He was he was a big uh, 
big supporter of the Purdue Off-Road Club and, and what we wanted to do. And knew we were a bunch of poor college kids, so we got some discounts, and he was definitely supportive of our uh, our endeavors. It's crazy when I look back in at history on this is the Badlands and what Troy Myers had. You everything there. Jesse Haynes came out of there. The the Gilbert guys out of Michigan. Mike Cole yep. out of Michigan. I mean, there's so many people that developed the Brannicks, Team Brannick. Exactly. All of them. They're just so good. And I know you're friends with Stan over there at uh, Stan Haynes over at Brannick. You know, I've known Stan a long time. I sold him a trailer recently, and that trailer tried to kill him and take his hands off. It's uh, that, Oh, that was you. That was my feather light that... Uh, okay. He tried to repair, you know, the, the spring-loaded garage door spring on the back of a race trailer. He had the door down and disconnected it. And all that stored-up potential energy, it just zing! And it went through oh, yeah. both hands and tore Stan up bad. I, I think he still has stitches in even today. And that's definitely been probably two months ago that he he did that. I felt really bad when I saw the pictures on social media. I had to call him and, you know, be like, was that my trailer? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> tell me it was my trailer. And I'm like, man, I'm... Oh. I mean, just beside myself that, you know, something that I had had injured him in such a way, you know, that's um, very, very unfortunate. Hopefully he's healing up. And I know he's listening to this. He, he shares the crap out of it on Facebook. So I know he he, I know he's listening. He's a great guy. He's been a great supporter, too. I actually I didn't know him that well up until uh, this past year. I'd seen him at some parties at my co-driver Brandt's house. They have they have parties uh, almost every year out of their farm in Indiana. And I'd, I'd met him and Brandon and a bunch of the Team Indiana guys, Scooby and the rest, and hadn't really gotten close to him until this year. This year kind of, uh, man, I made some awesome friends this year. And I, I got to say that, too. I mean, being new to the, the Ultra 4 world racing in general, and, and specifically this Ultra 4 racing, it's uh, it's amazing the amount of friendship and 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 support and kind of just like camaraderie that comes with it. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's almost like nothing I've ever seen before. Uh, my father-in-law does some uh, drag racing and whatnot. And it's pretty cutthroat out there, right? Nobody really helps each other a whole lot. And it's much more, uh, I'll say competitive. Cause it's competitive in Ultra 4 too, but it's just a, it's a different environment. People, people help each other. People care about each other and you crack a beer after a race and everybody's friends. I mean, there's no, no real bad blood between anybody. Isn't that glorious? It's amazing. It's amazing. It makes you want to do it, right? Like going out and, and tearing your stuff up and coming back and having to fix it and then going back out again. I mean, it, it could get mundane or old, but it doesn't. I mean, it's, it's awesome to go back out and race and then to spend the time having the fun afterwards, too. It's definitely a huge part of it. Yeah, these guys will literally loan you the shirt off their back if it helps you get back out on the course to beat you on the course. Absolutely. And then they will rib you afterwards being like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't have made it that far if it wasn't for me. If it wasn't for that lug nut I loaned you. I loaned you that one nut lug nut. I loaned it to you. And that's why you finished the race. <laughs> like that singular. That was key. I want some credit on the podium. That is right, man. Flashing back to Purdue just real quick, too. I think this is pretty neat. Having a CDL. My dad having a trucking company, we begged them every year to borrow a truck. We'd go on spring breaks. We'd load up an 18-wheeler. So we'd take a 53-foot dry van, and we'd take our rigs, and we'd stack four or five, depending upon how we could get them on the E-Track configured in the back of the trailer. And we'd head out of Lafayette, and we'd go down to Harlan, Kentucky, or we'd go down to Winrock, Tennessee, and, and we'd wheel the doors off our stuff down there for a week over spring break, which was pretty unique. And I thank my dad every every time I can that he let us do that, too, because that was pretty cool. Just give us a truck, trailer, and fuel, and say, go have fun, boys. Man, why didn't we go to college together? Come on. Yeah, pretty cool. Terrible. Man, you guys had it, had it made. So what else are you into? Yeah, so I like, uh, I'm, I'm a big outdoors guy. So my wife and I, um, we uh, we bought a farmette up in uh, northern Maryland where I live now, about 10 miles outside of Gettysburg. So it's kind of the hill country off the Appalachians. Got about 30 acres, cut a bunch of trails here for, for wheel and whatnot. But we also like to hike. We kayak. There's a bunch of good rivers out here. Love hunting the outdoors. A couple blinds on the property. We shoot some deer and whatnot. Big, uh, big outdoors guy all in all. I, I spend almost no time indoors. 
it's kind of funny. Like we don't even really watch TV or anything like that. It's it's, it's really kind of strange that you know the mo- the most of the TV and stuff that I do is usually when I'm traveling somewhere on an airplane. And now podcasts. I love podcasts. I'm, I'm relatively new to them, but this is a this is a really cool genre. I'm getting into it. I've taken some uh, taken some liking to to the talent tank, obviously, but also things like there's some there's some really good shows out there. Man, aren't there? I mean, that's how I, I got turned on to it. It was like, I was tired of hearing the same hit song played every hour on the hour. And I'm like, you know, and then you change the radio station to the next same genre, different station in your town. And it's the same song. And you're like, they're 15 seconds ahead of you on the other station, you guys. And then different order. And then, you know, I ran through, rolled through Audible for a long time, really caught some good books. And then my wife turned me on to a couple podcasts and let me back that up. There's a fellow named Brian Gillespie in off-road motorsports, and he's been out for quite a while, but he was my travel buddy for a long time. And he told me about podcasts like easily five years ago that, why, you need to listen to this and you need to listen to this one. And I was like, listen here, you damn hippie. I ain't listening to that. That's some quackadoodle shit that you've got going. And then here we are. Five years later, he calls me the other night going, hey, man, I listened to your first two podcasts. Wow. Those- You're hosting. Yeah. And I'm like, isn't this some messed up stuff that I called you a wackadoodle about this, this hippie stuff that you were into and I want no part of it. And here I am with my own show. So Right. Now you know what the purple button does on the iPhone too, right? I have no idea what that button did. Now we all know what that button does. So Yeah, I had no idea either. The cool thing about this is I had no idea that we're literally reprogramming an entire group or community of the world. Basically, all these people that the last time we did a format change was when we went from Pirate 4x4 to YouTube and to Facebook. And then now we consume all of our content on Facebook or YouTube for the most part. That's myself included. And so yeah. now all these guys are like, now a couple weeks there's been this, all this fear of missing out. They're like, whoa, what, what's this uh, talent tank thing I keep seeing on my Facebook and how do I get that? And next thing you know, I'm getting calls and texts, messages, DMs, PMs, whatever you want to call. And they're like, that's what that does? I'm like, yeah, man, I learned it like three months ago. So don't give me a lot of credit. All in the same boat. Yeah, I did not know that that was what that app meant. I hid it in a folder that was like Apple junk and I hid it in there and I was like, you know, I'm never going to see that again. And now it's on the front page. Right. Right. So uh, you uh, you guys bought this farm at 30 acres. You're kind of at the base of the Appalachians. Uh, I know it's got a, a beautiful farmhouse on it that you guys were going to do some remodel work on. And we're going to get there about where you are at on the remodel. But I'm just kind of trying to set up some cookies, you know, some foreshadowing about where we're going. So you so you graduate from Purdue. You've got a degree in aeronautical engineering, if I can say that right. You've worked for a trucking company your whole life with your family, your family business. You know logistics. You end up out in the real world. I actually, I get out of Purdue. I, I got the uh, I got the degree in the aeronautical based engineering technology. And I also got a commercial pilot's license. And I, I wanted to go fly airplanes. Kind of at that point, what I wanted to do. I had a bunch of buddies that were, were going to do that for some of the regional airlines. And there just, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of money in that at all. And I'm like, well, I got some student loan debt. And I've uh, spent a heck of a lot of money on wheeling and tires and whatnot. I need to, uh, need to do something that's going to pay some of these debts off. So let's figure it out. I had interned in college in the engineering world a little bit, actually at a company that did some stuff for Sikorsky. And they put me in a cube, and in the cube, there was no phone. And you don't know me that well yet, Wyatt, but I'm a pretty social guy. Like, I, I enjoy talking to people. And what really sucked at that internship is that they wouldn't let me talk to anybody. So I was kind of the creepy guy at the water cooler, right? Like, anybody that would talk to me on lunch break or anything else, I'm that guy, like, soliciting people, please come have a conversation with me. And I, I said, so I really don't want to get back into that world and sit in a, uh, in a cube and do it. Ended up going to work for a trucking company. Everything I had committed to myself that I didn't want to get back into, uh, it kind of gets in your blood. And uh, said I wanted to uh, wanted to do that. So I, I went and worked for a truck 
trucking company actually in the next town over from when I where I grew up. That was a company called Town Air Freight. It afforded me a heck of a lot of opportunities. I was able to move around with them throughout the Midwest, and then in 2012 they offered to uh, to move me to the East Coast, uh, and that's what that's what brought me to Maryland. So they moved me to the East Coast, ended up running operations out on the East Coast for them for uh, for a few years, and in 2015, old boss that was mine at uh, at Town Air Freight had moved on, and he was the uh, CEO of a different company called MNX Global Logistics company I'm currently at, he ended up hiring me and asking if I wanted to move to uh, move to Singapore, um, the country in in, uh, in in the Pacific Ocean. Being a uh, small town kid from Indiana with uh, not a whole heck of a lot of international travel experience, I went, sure, you know, like, I, I guess this could work. So went and lived over in Singapore for about uh, about two years with them and X. And I got to say, that was that was really uh, an interesting time in my life, too, because I've, I've always been in places where there's been some land and, and, and I was able to, to wheel and, and be outdoors. And I mentioned everything earlier about just loving being outside. And Singapore isn't really conducive to that. It's an actual big city. Lived in a small apartment there. It was nice, but it was definitely not uh, not what we uh, were used to here in the states. Met a lot of really good people. Spent a lot of time throughout the Asia region. It's kind of interesting too. You, you know, you, you're an off road guy or you're a wheeler. And at that point, I was just you know doing a bunch of rec wheeling, and I couldn't do it over there. But I'd met some people, so I made some friends that were from Malaysia that came over into the Singapore area every now and then, and we'd jump in their jeeps and their trucks, and we'd go head over into Malaysia. We'd do a little wheeling off in the uh, the back country of uh, of Malaysia, which is pretty cool. I mean. Uh, it's kind of neat to meet people that have kind of similar interests, but uh, from a completely different part of the world. Worked in Singapore up until uh, 20, 2017, uh, and then had the opportunity to relocate back home. Company sold in 2018 to a new private equity firm. Stayed on board, had the option to take a little bit of money off the table at that point, and uh, and did, but uh, was able to stay on board with them. Now I'm, I'm based out of California, live in Maryland, and uh, I love what I do. It's a, a time-critical logistics company. Uh, a lot of people, when I give the elevator pitch, they usually look at me like I'm crazy, like, what what is that, right? And it's... It's where a UPS or a FedEx, if they're not fast enough or don't offer the uh, monitoring capabilities of a shipment uh, that, that allow you to see it throughout the entire supply chain, you'd use us. So we're a really specialized transportation company is the best way to probably say it. So can we count on your company, MNX, to get transmissions and axles and engines to the lake bed in February when people blow their junk up? We could do that. We could do that. There's a there's a price tag on it. We could do it. Right? You just set up like a, a bullet train. MNX, this is what we're going to do. We're going to brand my car. We can get, if when you need that ring and pinion from wherever, and it needs to be here tomorrow. Oh, in the morning. Yeah, yeah. We've got it. And that's probably the best way to sum up what we do in this world. That's, that's, that's what we do. So if you, if you blew a ring and pinion, we could have it there in hours, right? So we could, we, we dispatch somebody from LA or from wherever it's coming from and it'd be there. And that's, that's kind of what we deliver is we kind of, you know, we say we deliver peace of mind. That's really what we do. So if we're, we're the mission critical guys, lines going to go down, something's going to happen like that. We, uh, we come in, we step in and we solve that problem. That's pretty cool. It's really cool to hear people's different backgrounds and kind of what they what they do and how they end up, you know, we share so many common interests. We all kind of have bubbled up through all these different channels. Uh, I've never ran across a custom critical transport guy that's yeah. out of the world I run in, but here we are. Yeah. So, so you end up in the Razor game shortly after this. So Razors. My wife and I, we got married last year, so my, my new wife and I, I guess, technically, uh, she she, uh, she was my fiance back then, but we had decided that uh, we were going to buy an, an RZR and kind of get back into it. I'd been out of the uh, off-road world for a while. During that period of time, from, from really about 2008 to uh, around 2015-ish, I was kind of out of it. I'd sold my uh, sold my rigs, kind of taken a step back and focused on career and some other things and was uh, was really into it still, though. I, I watched the YouTube videos on it. I'd be the, I'd consume everything I could on Facebook. I'd, I'd do everything like that, but just didn't own anything and uh, ended up convincing my wife at that point that, you know, we... 
we should get one of these RZR things, right? And this was in, um, I think it was in 2016 when we actually bought it. But So we should get one of these RZRs. We should go check it out. We ended up, uh, one Saturday, I had, uh, I had worn her down. Um, which I'm kind of good at, I think, where I just I, I obsess about something long enough that she uh, she gets worn down and kind of acquiesces to going and doing it. But uh, we were watching our niece that Saturday. I remember it pretty vividly. I loaded up her, my niece, and we hooked up to the this trailer we had, and it was an old like farm pintle hook split tandem trailer, right? So there's eight wheels under this thing for moving like heavy equipment. Hooked that to the back of my Dodge, and we head down to this RZR place. We're gonna go pick up an RZR or at least look at them, right? And she's looking at me as we're hooking out of the trailer going, wait a minute, you're, <laughs> you're bringing a trailer. You're going to bring something home, aren't you? And I'm like, well, that's, yeah, that's why we're going. So yeah, we'll, we'll take it just in case. I'm not, I'm not committing. We'll take it just in case. And we all know how that ends. Ended up getting there and, and we found one we loved and it was, it was awesome. It was, uh, it was yellow and black and had blue in it. I'm a huge blue fan. So that's black and blue motorsports. Almost everything in my life's blue. I had my roof and my house is blue now. And we, uh, we're a big blue fan, but it fell in love with it. Convinced her while we were there and actually used my niece kind of as a pawn in this. So I, I'd found a pink helmet, put it on my niece. And I said, hey, you go ask Aunt Tina if we can bring that home so you can go for a ride. And she did. Tina, Tina's like, yeah, we'll get it. Ended up buying the RZR, loaded it on the trailer. And we're heading down the road. And it's probably 20 miles from the farm, probably five miles outside of where we bought it. Uh, I hear a brake lock up and, and start dragging. And you just hear the tires back there just, you know, the, the, the noise of tires locking up and pop the truck in neutral, get out, run back there, grab a hammer out of the door, tell my wife, I said, Tina, you know, can you um, pull forward gently when I tell you to, and I'm going to beat on this brake and see if I can't loosen it up. And uh, so I climb under the trailer. I'm laying in between the duels, basically in the center of it. And I'm beating on this locked up brake, babe, pull forward, pull forward, Tina, go ahead, pull forward. And all of a sudden I hear this, this my turbo spool and my Dodge, you know, it's about 2000 RPM in the diesel, which is not a good sound when you're laying underneath the trailer. And then I hear, she, uh, she dropped the clutch. She drugged me probably about 15 feet with the dovetail of the trailer catching my, uh, my love handle and drugged me, uh, drugged me down the road a little bit. Ended up dislocating a shoulder on that one. And, uh, I can honestly say that my wife has ran me over for, uh, for buying something. So she, uh, she did it. She did it. That is an outstanding foray into how you got into, got a razor. I mean, right off the bat, man, I got no words. So I assume, uh, where you guys were at, you, you were hitting up, uh, Badlands again, running around with the same guys you were, same, same character. No, I was out in Maryland at this point. So we were up, uh, we run a lot now at Roush Creek, AOAA. Met a bunch of friends out here that we we do some wheeling with and uh, convinced some of our buddies to buy some stuff. So got a couple of them with XJs and different stuff like that now. And uh, wheel with a different crew of people out here, obviously, Indiana being a pretty, pretty good clip away. We don't, we don't make to the Badlands much anymore. We want to kind of do a reunion trip at some point, but uh, don't make it there a whole heck of a lot anymore. I think the other thing with the RZR, my wife would tell you if you, you talk, talk to her about it, it was it was kind of like the thing that uh, I'm surprised she let me get back into it as much because we brought it home and it had like one mile on it at this point because I had done like a test lap at the, uh, the place we bought it. We buy it home and my neighbors are having a party up on the hill and uh, the Hawk and Smiths, we get home, they're like, oh, bring the toy up. Let's have some fun. So you bring the toy up, right? Hadn't spent a whole hell of a lot of time driving it and take off through this field and end up, uh, I flipped it, uh, rolled it about three times, landed on its roof, and uh, tore the suspension off of it. I lost one of the front A-arms um, with about three and a half miles on the RZR. Uh, so ended up having to upgrade the entire suspension on the RZR uh, with three and a half miles in it. Uh, wife again makes, Damn it, that sounds terrible. She makes the comment again going, hey, it looks like you uh, did that to upgrade the suspension and whatnot. I know I know you, and I'm like, no, babe, I, believe me, I didn't want to, but uh, we, we have to now. So Yeah, I don't know if you know how unique you are in that situation. I think uh, that has been... A lot of people have had that same exact experience with their new razor or their new cyber yeah. side by side. And then, hey, then you just have to, to upgrade it. So you end up in a, a buggy shortly thereafter. 
we uh we wheeled the eraser for about a year and i liked it but i was uh i was used to something with with a little more power a little more um little more capability wanted to go crawl some big rocks again and, and, and do some stuff like that had a good line on a uh a rockwood chassis turbocharged ls3 rock buggy and uh it was a couple miles up the road from the house and we uh again convinced her on a, on a i think it was a saturday morning convinced her to go up and ride up and get this get this buggy uh and we bought it we redid suspension on it uh got put put fox coilovers underneath it and uh, did a bunch of cool stuff with it and ended up wheeling the heck out of that for a while too we uh we take that up to roush aoa that's been all over we still do a pork reunion trip we're getting ready to go on one next weekend we're going to be down in harlan so we do that a couple times a year we all get together and that was the buggy we took and we were able to crawl some cool stuff enjoy uh, enjoy being out on the trails again and just a different type of uh different type of ride than the rzr allowed us to have so she uh the wife tina she's now the uh the rzr um aficionado she's the one that drives that a heck of a lot so we still haven't hit where and when you exactly got bit by this bug for koh i know that happened we're right we're right in starting to come into the sweet spot i can tell that we're in 2017 you've got a rock yeah. buggy yeah so i'd been um heading out i mentioned before to, to brant and anna's farm in indiana um they had this party every fall and met a lot of these guys from brannock and, and team indiana like i said and, and kind of getting into it and they, they talk about this ultra four racing and i'd been a fan online right so i'd since 2015 ish i'd started really kind of watching the, the videos and kind of getting into it and looking at it and it was it was cool to see and, and hanging out with those guys and got bit by the just wheeling again bug with the rzr and the buggy and then in 2018 i was out in, in los angeles uh, i work out there a fair bit um for work and brant uh calls me and goes hey we're all out here for koh i see, I see you're in you're in la i posted something on facebook i think and he goes you gotta come out and see this man you, got, you gotta come out to the lake bed you're so close come out and, and and spend a little time on the lake bed and i'm like you know what that's a that sounds like a good idea so i i, I called the wife and of course she's like go you're there go go do it so ended up renting a car all i had was a bunch of like business attire had nothing to wear so i amazoned a bunch of clothes i ordered like boots and pants and some shirts and just literally had it delivered to the office like a day before i was gonna go out to lake bed packed all that stuff in like a like a, a charger or something that i rented from enterprise and ended up heading out of la for the lake bed and, and i'll tell you it was it was pretty cool i had asked brand i'm like hey where am i gonna stay what's going on i mean we're in the middle of the desert right and he's like oh terhoon you can stay with terhoon unless he's like hey what do, what do you guys need you know, bring two cases of beer and everything be good. So, okay, cool, man. I'll bring two cases of Coors Light and show up on the lake bed and pull in probably, you know, uh, evening time, probably 10, 11, maybe midnight. It was awesome. I mean, it's kind of surreal. You, you pull down Boone Road and that was the first time I'd done it. And it was just this sight, right? You're in the middle of nowhere and you got all these lights and it's twinkling and it's just amazing, right? And uh, I ended up checking. It's magical. <laughs> it, it, it is, right? And and even from there, you kind of start to feel like this, uh, this, this tingle, like in your belly. Like it's, it's kind of, it was kind of weird. Like I, I'd seen no racing, no no off-roading, no wheeling at all even yet, but just pulling down Boone Road and seeing that, you're just like – Ah, this is this is this is cool. This is like the Disneyland off road, right? Like this is kind of cool, right? So you start heading down the Boone Road, and uh, I, I called Brant, said, "Hey, I'm here," and I remember him and Terhoon, and I think X Dave. They all show up on on little pit bikes, right? And they're zooming around, and come on, man, you got to come see this. So it's midnight. Um, they had made a bunch of chicken wings and whatnot, threw some food in a plate, and Brant throws me in the passenger seat of a truck with uh, with our buddy Abrar. And we take off flying, and we go see Chocolate Thunder that night, and we go see, I think it was Backdoor or one of them. They were, guys were climbing all over everything, and it's midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. It's still, I mean, it's, 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 it's rocking, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. It was cool. I'm just looking at this going, this isn't real. There's no way. This is like, this is like fantasy land, right? Like, there's no way this is real. Music's playing. Everybody's having a good time. 
Um, woke up the next day. It was the 4400 race. Woke up and being the kind of the new guy then just to the lake bed in general, it's it's a little bit overwhelming. Uh, everybody's kind of got a job and they're all kind of doing something. And like this race prep thing's going on and there's just stuff happening. And you're kind of sitting there and I'm just taking it all in. And I remember looking at Brant going, what do you want me to do? He goes, just look, just be. He goes, you just want to be here. Just just enjoy it. You got your pit pass. Come hang out with us. You're going to you're gonna love this, right? And I did. Helped out where I could. I think I threw like an air filter to somebody and that was my big contribution to the, uh, to the team. Somebody needed some thrown at them, but I think I did it. But that was about it. And ended up watching the race, and and it was it was unbelievable to see, feel, hear, and smell. Like it's one of these like sensory overload type situations where every sense that you have is affected by being there. Like it touches you, and I just, I fell in love with it. I remember being just amazed. I looked at Brian at some point during that day and go, man, we got to do this. Like like we like you and I, we we need to do something like this. This is this is cool, man. We got to do it. Ended up leaving the lake bed then that Friday night, and I talked to Tina most of the ride home, and, and she, she I think, knew then she was kind of coming to the conclusion that I'd been bitten pretty hard by this bug and that we were likely uh, had something race-related in our future. There had been an inflection point in your timeline. Exactly, exactly. No, yeah, Hammers during KOH week, Hammertown. It is such a magical place. It is. It's 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 the happiest place on earth. It really is. And Chocolate Thunder and Backdoor at 1 a.m., it's like Times Square. It, you're right. And pe- people there. It's this destination where. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and, pe- and people there, too. I think the cool part there, and, and it, it, this is kind of not to harp on, like, the family and the camaraderie and the people, but you're you're on Backdoor or Chocolate Thunder, and you're hanging out, and you're watching people crawl stuff, and people are handing you beers, and you're talking about where you're from and just i mean there's there's guys you meet from like canada and from like europe and just it's it's insane to have this entire melting pot of hundreds of thousands or hundred thousand people on on the lake bed you know in the middle of the middle of the desert it's just it's it's cool and they're your immediate best friends you right yeah hold up a rock next to them they are from italy and you guys are instant best friends Exactly. If you've never been to the lake bed, I'll say this too. Like you can go to a bar and you can meet people and you can sit down next to somebody at the bar. It's a completely different atmosphere. Like that's not that that's almost funkier. I don't even know how to describe it, but like you go to the lake bed to your point and there's no there's really no getting to know you stage. Like is there's no there's no making new friends. Like you're instantly, hey, you know, hey, hey, I'm Nate, hey, I'm Wyatt, I'm I'm now your best friend. It's great. You know, what do you have what are you doing tomorrow? You wanna go hit on the desert? What do you want to do? You wanna drink a beer? Yeah, okay, sure, yeah, let's do that. So Yeah, man, I swiped right when I turned on Boone Road, man. We're good. <laughs> it's a big old group bug. Right. Big old, yeah, big old group hug. So yeah, so you've convinced the wife now that she knows, she knows something's up. Something's, you know, you're cooking something. Yeah. You get back home to Maryland and there's a call out West. You call somebody in Reno. Yeah, I do. So tell me about reaching out to that guy. He's awesome. Yeah. So, so we had, we had come back from there. It was, uh, it was still obviously early 2018. I knew the company was going to sell. We were going to be able to take a little bit of money off the table at that point. Kind of been seeding the garden with the wife on, Hey, we definitely want to do something like this. This would be fun. This would be good. And uh, ended up in, it would have been July, I ended up calling Randy. I've been cruising Pirate, been cruising um, Racing Junk and some of the other some of the other sites, just looking for, looking for an Ultra 4 car. Didn't immediately think I was going to jump right into a 4400 class car. I was looking at some of the 4800 stuff. You know, even considered doing a side-by-side thing for a bit, just, just to get into it. Ended up seeing, I believe it was Mike's 4800 bomber post. Yeah, Mike Slauson. Yeah, Mike Slauson. His post online Randy had had, I think Randy had the car post, ended up reaching out, DM'd him at first, and uh, he comes back and goes, give me a call. I think I got something you might be interested in. And I remember remember calling him, and, and Randy picks up, and he's like, hey, hey, it's Nate. He goes, hey, Nate, um, how would you like uh, my 4400 car uh, from last year, from this year, technically? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I just kind of 
instantly, uh, I guess, overwhelmed again. Like, sounds great. Uh, let me uh, let me talk to the the wife about it because it's going to be a little bit of an investment here. This is a this is a little bit more of a step up than we wanted, but yeah, let's let's try it out. Um, let's let's I'll, I'll call you back. I ended up calling my wife and uh, and calling Brant um, right afterwards, and everybody kind of was on board pretty quickly, and we made a decision to do it. I mean, it's your money. I think the, the hardest, uh, right? <laughs> I mean, it's your money, right? <laughs> I'm really good about spending my friends' money too, so I can see Brant saying, "Yeah, man, yeah, yes, that's what you want." Yes, great idea, great idea. Yeah, right. That's I like it. him. I've never met Brant before, but we're already best friends. I'm swiping right on Brant, right? Yeah, right. Yes. He's figured it out too. When we're working on it in the shop, even now, it's like, we need this, right? Like we've, you know, we, we need a hundred watt radio. We, we need to do, yeah, we, we got to do this, man. You, you need to make this happen. It's, that's, that's Brant to a T. So anyway, I, I, I call Slauson. We get that, we get a, uh, we get a deal done and uh, convince my wife. And, and, and here's kind of the, here's kind of the racing, uh, the racing story, I think, is that, you know, you do something like that and there's, there's puts and takes. And so we had earmarked finishing our house. We had bought this farm, like I mentioned, house was built like in the 1800s. So it, it's, uh, it needs some reno. Um, we were in, uh, we had started some of the renovation. We were going to take some of that cash and, and, and finish it. And uh, I can tell you that uh, as of uh, September 20th or whatever day it is now uh, in 2019, it's in the same status it was back in July 18. So we've uh, we've put zero dollars time energy into the house, and we've uh, we've kind of went full hog into the racing th- racing scene. So no, you went and dove in. I mean, you you know paratrooped into the yeah racing. You went straight to 4400. You got bitted Koh. You haven't raced before. You end up with a 4400 car. It was. A dream too. I mean, we, we made the deal with with Slauson. I was getting married in August. He had asked, you know, you need to come out and see the car. You know, you got you got to come out here. You got to come to my place. You got to see the car. And I remember pulling up in uh, in Gardnerville, Nevada, where he lives, and pulled up to Bomber Fab, right, and all tingly just being there, right, like this is Randy. This is Randy. Oh my gosh! Like I'm gonna see where the magic happens, right? This is gonna be great. The car's sitting out front, and pulled up into his driveway, and there he is standing there, and he's like, uh, I get out of the car, and, and before we even do much more than just hey, shake hands, introduce myself, and he's like, let's go for a ride, right? And I'm like, what now? He's like, yeah, let's go for a ride. Jump in. Jump in the passenger seat of his bomber, and, and we take off out of his driveway, and he's just flying. I mean, we're doing 85, 90, 100 mile an hour through these this, this desert part of Nevada, and I just remember sitting there thinking to myself, like, this can't be real, right? These are the I watch him. Like, I watch him on TV. I watch him on, you know, like, it's what is happening? This is so cool. And then uh, about halfway through that test drive, he looks over and goes, all right. Switch seats, right? And then I got I got Randy sitting in the uh, in the in the co dog seat, uh, flying around in, in his car, and it was just it was awesome. It was kind of surreal, right? And uh, not to be too gushy over Randy, but he's been he's been awesome. I mean, the guy's been you know, he he's one of those people that that he's a he's a he's a builder of cars, and he doesn't have to be your friend or, or talk to you or do anything after the sale, right? He's he's not necessarily obligated to, but he's been extremely supportive, late night text and phone calls, and just helping us with a lot of questions when we first got it, and even now. I mean, it's uh, he's been extremely awesome to, to, to deal with and to be a, be a friend. My own personal interactions with Randy have been, we, we bonded pretty good, he and Mike and I, in 2009. And so every now and then, I, I don't see Randy that often, but when we do run into each other, we always share like the same kind of twisted view on different people. And we will have a, you know, you have to have that friend or that know you can openly rip about something. He is always the guy to come to me with, uh, F that dude, you know? Yeah. Oh my. 
my God, it makes me so mad. Or, and I'll the same way. I'm like, yeah, dude, I, I agree. But that's my view of Randy. Randy is a hard worker, keeps his nose to the grindstone, keeps cranking out these amazingly simplistic cars that continue to work. He stays laser focused on one race a year. He runs, he runs King of Hammers. He runs it better than the other 90% of the field. He is, he's always there. I like him. I know he's he rubs some people the wrong way, but I've always really liked him. I'm a fan of a lot of drivers, but at the same time, I feel that my personal relationship with Randy uh, over the years is one that it's just it's a little bit jaded. We're a little bit dark on stuff, but <laughs> and if you know Randy, you kind of probably know where I'm going. Yeah, takes that in the world. I mean, I'm gl- I'm glad that he's part of it. I'm glad that you were able to team up on a car and get a car from him. But one that helps him, you know, I see he's building a new shop and expanding. I know certainly you know, part of your dollars went to directly to feed that animal, which is awesome. So I'm happy to see my friends building and growing their businesses and taking that to the next level. And then I'm happy to see guys like you, you know, just a rookie coming in, grabbing this amazing car and just saying, you know what? I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're the proud owner of this Bouncing Baby bomber car, and we're looking at KOH 2019. Yeah, and uh, so we, we we get the bomber car, and and I guess I'll say this too. So I'm out there this uh, the week. Uh, I think I'm there the 22nd or something, August, and I'm getting married on the 25th. So my my wife again, you know, comes to the rescue and, and lets me go out to Nevada three days before we're getting married. And this was this was a super cool, I, I think, wedding present. Really, is uh, she was she was super cool about letting me go out there and, and and spend some time with him that close to the wedding. And I remember some of our friends are like, "Is he really buying a car like like three days before you're getting married?" And Tina's like, "You know, it's we love." It. We're gonna we're gonna love it. It's gonna be fun, and uh, it's pretty cool for her to do that. Yeah. So on her, yeah, on that on this whole wedding present. I mean, I'm telling you, this Tina sounds pretty awesome. I mean, the next husband, like if you're ever die or whatever reason you're out of the picture, or somebody shoves you out of the picture, you know, cuts your brake lines or whatever happens at this point, they're gonna expect like, hey, well, the first guy he got a bomber car for his wedding present. You know, I kind of want, yeah, a, I want a car, right? Exactly. Exactly. She set the bar very high. I mean, I, I'm loving her. Yeah, we needed the th- we needed some way to uh, to get to races and, and and move this thing around, and uh, we ended up finding a uh, a toter home. Always kind of wanted a toter home, being a. Being a truck guy, having the CDL and being around semis my whole life, I uh, was looking for one. We we found the Toter home out in uh, in Tacoma, Washington, which is almost as far as you can go west for us, being from Maryland. So we flew out there and and ended up driving that back across the country. Uh, it was a 53 foot long converted Kentucky trailer and a uh, Volvo tractor. Her and I, we uh, we tag teamed it. Um, she drove a little bit in the flatlands where we slip seated, and she got behind the wheel and put it in cruise, and she held it straight and level for a bit, which was pretty cool. So this wife of yours, let me get this right, she drove over you with a Dodge, popping the clutch, drug you with a trailer not two years prior, maybe three years ago, now, and now she's toting a 53-foot Kentucky across the, the country. Is this right? Yeah, you know, now that you mention that, that probably wasn't a good judgment on my part. Uh, probably should have rethought that. Hey, I didn't crawl underneath it. At least why I didn't go underneath it. I I learned my lesson on that. If a brake would have hung up on the semi, I definitely would have got under it. I can visualize myself talking to my own wife and saying, "Hey, I'm tired. Will you just will you take the wheel for a couple hours of this 18 wheeler with a 53 foot trailer?" And she would look at me like I'd lost my full mind. Yeah, she had never driven one. This was her first uh, her first time driving one, and she she did well. I mean, it was uh, it was across I think South Dakota, I believe, is what she drove the majority across. We made it home unscathed that trip. We brought it from uh, Tacoma, Washington, all the way back to Maryland. It took us about three days. 
now you have a truck, now you've got a race car, but you have no idea what you're doing fuel-wise, strategy-wise, tool-wise, stocking up to go across the country to race. Yeah, not knowing any of it. Not knowing much about this truck and trailer I just bought, not knowing much about the bomber car. Having just kind of immersed myself in it and ended up taking the car out to Brant and Anna's farm in Indiana. Uh, and we, we parked it there for the winter. He's got a big heated shop and everything. And we ended up parking it there and working it out there. Started going through it, doing everything from upgrading the radios in it to what we wanted to have and um, just adding some tools to it, to the back of it. Because we, uh, again, first time out, first race ever, never raced anything in my life. And first race going to be KOH. Let's, let's take some tools, maybe a couple spare parts with us on board you know let's let's try to try to give ourselves a fighting chance so we, we spent a lot of time going through the car learning it i mean again to the point of it doesn't come with like an instruction manual right it's not like a piece of ikea furniture where you look at it and it tells you to put this here and this goes here and that goes there and here's all the torque specs laid out for you and here's the fuel in it and you know this is this is the inside of the it, I, fuel cell right like open the fuel cell there's foam in it well that's new i no foam and there's these hydra mats on the bottom and just i remember going through everything just kind of huh i don't even really know what this does but let's, let's figure it out let's figure out what this piece does and spent a lot of time talking to a lot of really good people i mean so again terhoon uh there's many late nights in brand shop we're talking to him just about everything from what best to put on board the car that you know potential fail points to hey how, how do we come up with a pit strategy right so this is a race where you got to figure out how much fuel you're going to burn, where the fuel, where you want to put, however many gallons you want to put at each pit and what you want to have at each pit and all that stuff. It was a, it was a heck of a lot of planning to go through it. And then just, again, just, just trying to figure out just our in-car strategy. So Brant's been best buddy for a hell of a long time, but you know, you put yourself in a car with somebody and you're, you're trying to operate in a decently stressful environment. It's a, it's a different world, right? So. It absolutely is. It's kind of it's kind of cool to see the point of you talking to me right now, where I can tell that you were drinking from a fire hose, like oh. just absolutely just spraying you in the face. But this is coming at you. Koh is coming at you like a freight train. You finally get ready. Like I mean, you're never ready. You're never ultimately. You're never no. always ready. I mean, you may get on the road and you're like, well. I forgot the third member or I forgot my toothbrush or, oh my gosh, I didn't pack underwear. Right. Things happen. Right. Y'all do, you do depart though and you head for the hammers and I know it goes wicked sideways from there. And this is the part why I wanted to have you on because your ability to stick with the plan and overcome and adapt and overcome and adapt against such amazing adversity. You guys are in for it. He's going to tell some stories here for the next few minutes that... I know personally myself and everyone that I've talked to about this story, they would have thrown in the towel way before this guy did. So throw it at us. We had gotten everything ready to go. Car was ready to go. We prepped the truck and trailer, checked all the oil, checked all the fluids, tires. I mean, we went through the, the, the toter home as well, right? I mean, you're, you're taking a, a 2,000 plus mile trek across the country. You, you, you got to be prepped for that too. The, 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 the road to the hammers is arguably as tough as, as it is at the hammers. Um, getting there with your truck trailer, your your stuff intact, is, is as we found out, it's a lot harder than what it did. <laughs> it appears to be. So we ended up leaving on uh, on January 29th out of uh, out of Brant Anna's. Actually, I think it was the 30th morning, believe it or not. It's 30th morning, probably 3 a.m. We had worked all day, all night, hadn't slept. I took the first first leg, and, and we take off out of his house, and it's cold, it's snowing, it's nasty, and, and snowing hard. Like There's snow on the roads, and we... We made a decision at that point we were going to take the southern route. So we were going to head down down south through Kentucky, Tennessee, and then head down through like Amarillo and out through Arizona to get to the hammers in the lake bed, which would get us out of the snow as quick as possible. So I took that first leg. Everything went, went fine, leaving the leaving the farm and 
we were good to go. Drove almost till about probably Kentucky, middle Kentucky. Ended up swapping out. Brant drove a little bit then. He uh, he had had some sleep in. Everything went really really well trip wise up until about Amarillo. So we we pull into Amarillo on February first. Two things happen here. We make a decision to get the truck and trailer washed. And that's uh, beyond me why we did that now. But we decided we wanted to take the truck and trailer through a truck wash. It was covered in salt. I think part of the thought process there was just let's get it cleaned off, et cetera. And let's stop and get some food. So we get the truck washed, take it through the truck wash, pull out, and the truck shuts off. Uh, we washed the engine compartment of the semi. They had blown some of the insulation off one of the wires. And it was uh, it was given an overtemp, And it was actually shutting the truck down. So we ended up having to repair that in the parking lot of the truck wash place. We drive over and, and, and end up stopping and getting some food. I think it was like a Whataburger. We stop there. We get some food. And we come back out from eating. The lights on the semi-trailer aren't working. And so we kind of look at each other like, well, this this isn't good. Got to be water-related. So we end up spending about five and a half, six hours chasing electrical gremlins around the semi-trailer because there was one light working, and it was the front, bottom, driver's side marker light. So we had one light on this trailer, and we're like, we're going to get pulled over in a second heading down the road with no lights on the trailer. So we ended up spending about six hours fixing that. Get back on the road. Things are going good again. I think I drove a little bit then and, and ended up uh, shortly thereafter. I, I climbed up in the bunk uh, and, and got a little bit of shut eye. And this is where Thursday morning starts rolling in. Uh, sunlight's coming through the through the front. And I'm in the back. I wake up. Everything seems to be going good. Truck sounds good. You know, you're sleeping in the, uh, I'll say this too, you're sleeping in the bunk in the truck. I had only had this thing for a little bit. Being a truck guy, you listen to things, right? And everything still sounds good, going good. No new noises. Wake up Thursday morning, step down. Brant's driving. He and I swap seats, start talking about something for breakfast. We had the microwave and some like instant oatmeal. He goes back, makes some instant oatmeal, comes back up to the front, sits down next to me and start having a little bit of a conversation and you hear like this, like this, boom, And it was a subtle enough noise that you just kind of heard it in the middle of the conversation, but you didn't really want to acknowledge it, right? So I'm driving, I reach down and I start pushing things like on the lower dash and I'm like, ah, it's got to be a rattle, right? Like, and then you hear this, and I'm like, oh, it's just, it's a rattle. And Brant's got this look in his eyeballs and I've known him long enough now to know, like, you know, it's, it's almost like when he spotted me back in college and whatnot and I'd flip something over, he gets this look in his eyes like, oh shit, this is not going well. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, no, it's just, it's just the dash rattling. And then the last bump, 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 and it smells like oil and there's smoke and you see the RPM start bopping around. And I went, oh God, shut the truck off. We coast to the side of the highway. And at this point, you know, we're kind of all thinking about, well, what, what could this be? And of course, as we're coasting to a stop without missing a beat, all of us, and I'm sure it goes for everybody, you all start speculating about what it is, right? Because before you even look at it, we all have an opinion about what went wrong. So start talking about, ah, maybe, you know, valve dropped. Oh my gosh, maybe we just blew something out the dipstick. Maybe the dipstick fell out with just puking oil, you know, off the side of the block, whatever. It's nothing big, nothing, nothing horrible happened. End up popping the hood on the side of the highway. We pull the valve cover off and we start just looking over the motor and there's just nothing, nothing we can find that makes it look like what happened. Like it's just it, no oil leaking, nothing nothing bad on the outside of the motor. In fact, it's clean because we had it washed, um, but there was nothing leaking from it. Ended up, uh, this was in Winslow, Arizona. There's actually that country song, Standing on the Corner in Winslow, Arizona. It's, 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 uh, it's not as fun as that song makes you think. I'll tell you that. That's not country. That is not country. That is the Eagles. I mean, that is quintessential 
Oh, I'm sorry. It's the Eagles. My, my, my bad. That is the Eagles quintessential rock. I mean, you cannot have a conversation about 70s rock without standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona. And there you guys are in your toter and your 53-foot yeah. Kentucky standing on the corner. In Winslow, Arizona. Yep, yep. Uh, and we ended up uh, having to Google where we were going to you know, find somebody to come get us. And, and obviously, one of the things that doesn't come in the uh, in the toter home ownership manual is uh, that you know you can't fit on a normal hook, right? We're gonna have to get we're gonna have to get somebody that's got something pretty substantial. We ended up finding this Winslow Ford and talking to a guy named Clayton there, and he shows up in a big old Kenworth semi truck rotator type thing. And so we're standing on the corner in Winslow, Arizona, waiting for Clayton to show up, and he does. He's about an hour away. He pulls up in front of us, hooks onto the truck and trailer, and drags us to Flagstaff. Flagstaff's probably probably 60, 65 miles from where we were at. So spent a lot of time riding with him, and he hooks onto the truck and trailer assembly, and he's only got a day cab rotator, and so it's just me and him up there. So Brian Grant and Casey that were with me, they're in the in the truck still, right? Being towed down the highway, like just sitting there getting drugged down the highway. For anyone listening who isn't up on that lingo that a day cab, it's just like a single cab pickup. Well, I mean, it's an 18-wheeler, but it's a single cab. It's This isn't a crew two cab. Seats. This isn't an extended cab. This is a single seat with the shifter between the two of you. So Clayton and I ride up to the uh, the Flagstaff Truck Center, and uh, or Flag Truck Center in Flagstaff, and we end up pulling in there, and the guy comes out. We talk to him on the phone on the way. His name's Wayne. And, and Wayne, I got to say this, if you're ever broke down near there, two people, I mean, Clayton and Wayne, so Clayton from uh, – Winslow Ford and, and, and Wayne from Flagstaff Truck Center. They're, they're both really good people. They took really good care of us. I got, I got to say that because, again, just showing up on their doorstep with a pretty bad issue that we'll, we'll talk about here in a second. They were all about helping us. So so Wayne comes out and, you know, hey, boys, what, what are you doing? So yeah, we're heading to the Hammers. We're, uh, we're going, going racing, uh, hopefully. Um, we've got the race car on the back and we're heading out, and of course, being a being a motor guy, Wayne, before he even looks at the truck, he goes, can I, can I look at the race car? And we're like, sure. So he's got his guy on hooking the truck from the trailer, and he climbs up in the in the back of the toter in the, uh, in, in, the, in the garage area, and he's just like, wow, that's awesome. Oh, my gosh. That's just, oh, that's great. That's, oh, you know, he's going all over the car and gushing all over it. And we're like, oh, that's, yeah, we, we're, we're excited. We really want to get out there, but yeah, we don't have a way to tow ourselves out there right now without this truck. So can you help us try to diagnose what's wrong with it? Pulls it in the shop, and we end up waiting a couple hours. He comes back out. And, you know, he's got this look on his eyes, kind of like a, a, a doctor or somebody delivering the bad news. Like, he's just got this look. He goes, hey, uh, hey guys, come on inside here. I uh, I got to show you something. And I'm like, oh, this this can't be good, right? Like, if you're not just going to deliver me news, you want to show me something, uh, this isn't going to go well. So ended up walking into the, uh, into the shop area there, and he's got the oil filter cut in half. Inside the oil filter, the, the element inside is about a quarter of the size it should be. It had sucked itself shut because the engine had made so much metal that it plugged the filter, it plugged the oil bypass, and it actually then sent metal throughout the entire motor. So we basically just destroyed it. She's done. She's done. She done. So he goes, I got a couple options for you. Put a new motor in it. It'd be about $35,000 and probably a week. Uh, of time so by the time I get one here and get it put in or uh, or you can let it sit here and figure out what you want to do and at this point we kind of went into panic mode right so we're sitting there going oh god it's Thursday night we want to get to lake bed this is this is not good we got to start making some phone calls so we called a couple guys tried to figure out what we could do rental truck wise believe it or not Flagstaff Arizona not a bunch of rental trucks there's no Ryder or Penske dealers uh, anywhere near there we we're trying to find one couldn't ended up making a bunch of phone calls I'll say this team Indiana stepped up like crazy again bunch of guys from there that have connections in the uh, semi truck world started making some phone calls Chad Hunt Hunt Motorsports team Indiana guy he ends up offering hey man I'll drop my trailer on the lake bed come back and get you 
bobtail back to you with my tractor and yank you out here so you can race. We thought about that too, but I mean, you, you, you know where you're going, right? You're going in the middle of the desert. You got to get back off the lake bed and, and there's some challenges with not having a power unit out there with you. So, well, uh, we're just going to sleep here and maybe Friday morning we'll bring some, uh, bring some more luck. We'll try to figure something out. Thursday night, we go and we shower at a local hotel. We had no water on board the toter home, so it wasn't even a real toter home at this point. There was no no shower, no nothing. We'd been stinking pretty bad by this point, a couple days without a shower and sweating and everything else. We ended up coming back that night and sleeping in the toter. Because we had opened everything up to work on the car, we did done a little more car prep in the parking lot, and, and the car had turned into like a bug light for everybody in Flagstaff, Arizona, so we had... We made about 55 new friends in Flagstaff as well, people showing up and uh, and talking about racing in the car and everybody telling us what they do off-road-wise or being out in the desert, which actually was a benefit. following morning, we wake up, and uh, on Friday, uh, Wayne comes back out, knocks on the, on the, on the door and says, hey, man, my buddy uh, Dago, Dago is a local sand uh, sand dune racer guy. He's got the uh, little sand rail type cars. And he goes, Dago heard your story, and he, uh, he wants to talk to you. He's like, uh, okay. About two minutes later, Scooby, uh, Michael Fagans, so uh, the 929 car, he comes flying in in his in his Chevy, pulling his rig. He pops in and, you know, hey, guys, I'm here to help. You know, what, what, what can I do? You know, and so we're standing there and, and Dago shows up and Scooby looks at me and goes, let's go buy a truck. We're like, okay. Catch people up on Scooby. Scooby's an Indiana guy. Yeah, Scooby's an Indiana guy. He runs around with uh, Team Brannock. He's Team Indiana. He's good dude. Drives the, uh, you know, the mystery machine looking Scooby-Doo car. And so he, um, he he's there. He's like, hey, man, I'll, I'll help any way I can. Why don't we go look at this this uh, this truck Dago's got? So this Dago guy, he ended up having a couple semis he was trying to sell. So Scooby and I pile in the truck with him. We go out. We start looking at some of these trucks he's got for sale. And he uh, he had a uh, Freightliner, an 03 Freightliner that he was trying to get rid of. Took it for a test drive. It ran. We thought it'd be a, uh, a decent fit. Scooby and I talked to him about it a little bit and uh, ended up buying it. And here's kind of a little bit of a challenge we ran into, too. Had to get him some money for this, right? So this, so this Dago, he... Made a deal. I was going to give him my Volvo, trade it in part for his Freightliner. He was going to scrap it out, whatever. Uh, give him a little bit of cash on top of that. Ended up not being able to get cash. So in Arizona, you can't get cash out of a out of a bank uh, more than about I think it's like two thousand bucks, and you can't wire funds same day. Um, there's something to do with laundering money or some sort of money issues through the state of Arizona that you couldn't do something to get money to this guy. And I'll say this: this is another good man. So so Dago ends up saying, "Hey guys, you want to go to the lake bed? I love to race." You guys, I can see the passion in your eyes. You guys want to go race. I'll give you the truck. You don't have to give me any money. Just give me your truck, your keys to your truck, and we'll call it square. When you get off the lake bed, send me some cash. And, and so that's what we did. We ended up uh, getting that truck prepped, got it ready to go, put it underneath our trailer, and we headed to the lake bed. I mean, isn't it just a great feeling when you run across people that are still really good people out there in the world? They're not Oh, it's unreal. Corrupted. I mean, their word is their bond, their handshake is the deal, and there's, oh man, I'm just sorry, I'm almost getting teary-eyed harkening back to a day when that was actually real, and we're just kind of, you know, society's moved so far to the other side, but here we go, we got this guy giving you the, you know, a, a tractor, you know, giving you a tractor to pull your trailer and saying, you know what, just come back, come back and pay me in a week when you guys get done on your uh, your fool's errand out there to race, okay, right? To your point there, I mean that was that I was I was almost teary eyed there too with him because I'm like there's no way we had went to like two banks we'd went everywhere else he drove me to the Arizona Department of Motor Vehicles to get it tagged and titled helped me do that whole process to put it down the road legally I mean and, and he didn't have anything I mean 
honestly could have stiffed the guy, really. If he didn't have anything that could had title to the truck that I had or any of that kind of stuff, it was he gave me the title of that truck. It was unreal to have somebody go out of their way like that. In fact, he wants to come this year to the Hammers. He couldn't make it last year. Him and his wife were celebrating the anniversary that weekend. But this year, he wants to bring his RV out and come hang out with us. And we're like, I, I told him, I said, you ever make it, man. Your entry and beer and food's all on me, man. You made my, made my world that trip. As it should be, right? Oh, for sure. Okay, we're on the road. We're finally, we're back on the road. You spent, what, like three days in Flagstaff. We're back on the road. We're headed to the Hammers. Race one. You pull back down on Boone Road. Second time you turned back on it since a year before, before you got bitten by this bug. Walk into race week. You don't have a spot yet, right? You still have to LCQ in. Exactly. So still have to LCQ into the race. End up checking in, getting there on, on late Friday night. Park the truck. Wake up Saturday morning. We wanted to do a little bit of prep on the car on Saturday morning. We wanted to get out and pre-run. I mean, obviously, I'd never been actually on any of the course uh, other than moving from pit to pits. Wanted to do that um, and, and just spend some time. We ended up Saturday morning going into Hammertown, and we wanted to get a couple items. I think uh, something for the visors, something else. I can't even really remember what we wanted to Hammertown for. We went to Hammertown for a couple hours, about noon, 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Ended up coming back to the RV. I opened the door to the RV when we get back to Team Indiana's camp there. It's on fire. I opened the door to the RV, and, and it's, oh, shit. Uh, my RV's on fire, and it's it's the microwave and the stove, and there's flames, right? And and, and I'm, I'm actually I'm a volunteer firefighter, so I'm I'm used to fire. I'm used to putting fire out, right? And there's a fire extinguisher next to the door, and and I froze. Uh, it was almost like one of those surreal slow motion videos. It just th- there is no way that my <laughs> this 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 trip is happening like this and uh one of the guys from uh, may motorsports um z-man was standing there he runs and gets a fire blanket and we throw it on top of it put the fire out take the ash and stuff outside it's still smoldering but it destroyed the front end of the toter it was uh really charred up from the fire and then there was a ton of smoke damage throughout the entire thing it was rough having to figure out what we're going to do i mean obviously that was going to be home for the week uh and had all of our stuff on board and, and everything else i'll say this you know the, the the guys from team indiana again who i didn't know that well for this this koh trip they all they all started cleaning it i ended up having to go into town to wash my clothes because the clothes all smelled like charred smoke and, and burned they ended up cleaning the uh the front end of the toter for me they uh come back from doing the uh the uh laundromat run and these guys are all there with bleach and towels and everything else and there's probably 15 people climbing all over it just washing it down and it was uh again another moment when you get a little misty eyed thinking about it that these guys who didn't know you that well are all about helping you out and making it work we take care of our own. It's just what we do. And that's our community. That's our family. And no, I mean, you're part of it. You dove in, you know, feet first. And now you're immersed in this community. This is, you know, I can see you actually almost tearing up uh, right now talking about how these guys that you didn't know and didn't know you that well. And they're just like, dude, this is, this is my brother, brother from another mother. Uh, but here we are on, on means dry Lake in California and we're thousands of miles from home and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Absolutely. Everything from cleaning the thing. To, I mean, even even Mike DeVore, uh, he ended up giving me his truck to run into town. I mean, just everybody everybody helping out and being all about making sure that get you back on your feet as, as, as quick as possible. It was, it was super cool to be able to, to be around a bunch of people like that. You know, at, at that point, I actually had a little bit of a, uh, uh, I guess, a meltdown. Brant kind of caught me that night coming off the trailer, just like overwhelmed with maybe, maybe we shouldn't do this, right? Like truck blew up, caught it on fire. 
it's been a hell of a road to get here. Maybe this just isn't our uh, our, our our cup of tea. That, that lasted probably 30, 40 minutes or so and kind of got my head right again. Thanks to him and a bunch of the guys talking to me. Stan came over, spent some time going, hey, man, this is a, this is a dream. You want to do it, do it. You need to do it. We're all here for you. It's going to go better. Just get out there and, and rock it. And uh, ended up getting my head back on straight and being able to do it. The hits don't stop coming, though. You've I would have thrown in the towel back in Flagstaff. I would. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone that I've talked to about your story when I was, you know, kind of looking, because again, I don't know you, rookie. I didn't know your name. I heard the story. I love the story. And these guys are like, man, I would have thrown in the towel back in Flagstaff. And I kind of agree I would have too. Now you're on the lake bed. You burn your junk down. Now you're looking at LCQ and it just, uh, it just doesn't go the way you want it to go either. No. So LCQ, obviously, and everybody in, in Ultra 4 knows it, but I mean, for those that don't, that might be listening to the podcast, like you, you have to qualify in LCQ or you don't race. Like if you don't get the last chance qualifier in and get accepted to the big race on Friday, you're not going to race. It, it's the precursor if you don't qualify earlier in the year to get onto the lake bed. And I think that's one thing that we maybe skipped over for anyone that's not fully, you know, I have a lot of listeners that aren't fully in Ultra 4 or fully know how it works. You have to qualify in during the year to get a spot in February to run. You, since you didn't own a car during that year, you just showed up hoping to get a spot in what's called a last chance qualifier. Every car on the lake bed in in that class runs. They run a qualifying time, and there's some amount of people that show up with cars that do not have spots. They qualify fast enough that they get a transfer into the main race. That's where you're at. You actually went out there to a race that you didn't even have a spot for. Yeah, there's no spot. Ended up on Tuesday. We did some pre-running on the uh, on the short course. So, uh, well, I guess just flashing back for a second, we ended up on Monday going out with uh, with Scooby, Mike Fagan's again 929 car. He ended up taking us out around lap one. And for some context here, I had not driven this race car more than uh, a couple hundred, maybe thousand, couple feet. We, we'd driven around the farm a little bit, nothing at any speeds other than in Nevada earlier that year. Uh, at any sort of real speed, any sort of real handling, no real seat time in this car. So we went out with Scooby and, and pre-ran a bit and kind of got our bearings and, and learned how to drive the car. Never driven in the desert, never driven in sand. It was just a lot of a lot of stuff, too, to get used to. And it seemed like it was going to be a lot easier than what it was. And I'll say that it, uh, it was definitely uh, a lot tougher than I thought it was, just even driving the car. I'm like, it, it shouldn't be that hard. It's not going to be that big of a transition from driving over some rocks in my rec wheel or to, you know, doing 70, 80, 90 miles an hour across the desert floor. It's a, it's a transition. Yeah, there's there's some there's definitely some learning that has to go on in order to figure out how to do that. So we end up on Tuesday getting into the LCQ. We're decently early in the morning and we went out and did the practice laps. We felt really good. We had hit the lines probably four or five times, hitting uh, hitting speeds that we were feeling really comfortable with. Ended up getting the actual LCQ run. We did really, really well until about halfway through. We were posting a really good time. Right around the backside of, of the course, going back up the mountain there, it was uh, it was a, it was a roll. We uh, we flopped it, and it actually didn't even roll it. It abruptly flopped onto its sides. We were going at a decent clip, and it stopped dead and flipped over and took us out. Hopes and dreams out the window. Hopes and dreams. That was the week, right? And I'm sitting there in the car on my side, waiting for somebody to come winch us over, and thinking to myself, you know, this definitely isn't meant to happen, right? Like there's this is the final straw. Uh, there is no way that, you know, this is this is supposed to be in my life, right? Came, tried, it's uh, it's over. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go help the rest of the crew. Uh, we got some guys in the EMC. We got some guys in the 4400 race. I'm going to go be a heck of a pit member if I can and, and, and rock and roll the rest of the week here and just uh, try to enjoy the rest of the time in life. We'll go park the car. But wait, but wait, there's more. <laughs> Billy Mays there, right? So we uh, 
end up pulling off the LCQ course. And there's Terhune. And Josh goes, hey, yeah. hey uh, you, you can have my, uh, my LCQ spot. Since they had made the change to allow people to essentially gift their spots in order to LCQ uh, into future races, uh, he gave me his. Yeah, we uh, we ended up going down to the check-in tent on Boone Road and registering him in the car and, and me under his name. He and Brant went back out that afternoon and uh, LCQ'd in, in the car. So Terhune uh, drove, drove the car. He, he was making fun of it a little bit, going, man, I can't believe your big ass gets in that seat. And I said, yeah, it's tight. It's definitely a tight seat. He took it on a heck of an LCQ lap. We ended up getting 67th as a starting position. He, uh, he gave me that spot, which is... Uh, Sorry, I'm a little off. This one, too, gets really emotional to a, a guy who, who I didn't know at that point that well. I mean, we were friends, but not like, you know, to, to just give something away like that was really cool. And then to volunteer to, to qualify, and then he uh, he ended up starting the race, too, and we swapped out right after uh, he took off from the, finish, or the start line. And I'm watching you right now, and you're you're definitely choked up by the magnitude of that generosity of handing over a spot that someone else had earned in into King of the Hammers, into the 4400 race, and he gifts it to you. Obviously, you raced under Terhune's name. The rule book says the driver record has to either start or finish the race. Right. And you guys elected to do the start. So Terhune takes the green flag for you on Friday, pulls over, and you jump in. Fair? Jump in and, and, and take off around the short course again and... You're in the main race. You lined up with the likes of Lauren Healy. You lined up with the the likes of Shannon Campbell. You all these guys that are heroes that you've looked up to. Certainly, all the way back to the Pirate Four by Four days, they were involved. You've got Randy Slauson that built your car. He's lined up in there. You've got you know the Shearers, all of them, or Shearers, Shearers. You got all those guys. You've got. Eric Miller, you've got all of Team Indiana there. You got all the you know Team Texas guys there. You have all of these people that you've—they're your peers, but heroes. It's it's that kind of that weird influx where you are in life, where all of a sudden you know I like Dale Earnhardt Jr., but I can never imagine being in the top forty-two cars at NASCAR and lining up next to him. And you know you line up next, and you look over. Who did you leave with? Who did you race when you when you left when Terhune left the green flag? Who was the car next to him? I don't even remember that why. Ah, it's it's okay because those guys were long gone when he pulled over to let you in anyway. Long gone. I think what was interesting too for me is that not only was I not strapped in the car for the start of this race looking around at these guys, I saw them all pass in front of me from where we pulled over. So we were right there by that first jump and I'm seeing Shannon Gamble fly by, Randy Slauson fly by, like you said, Levi Shirley fly by. You see all these guys just flying by going, wow, I mean, like, the, we're going to take this race on with these guys. That's 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 so cool just to be out in the same area that these guys are all racing in, right? Competing. Engines thumping, engines hitting you in the chest oh. as they're going by. It's just violent. A full-on 4,400 car just fully getting it is oh. just, oh, my gosh. It's uh, I, it's hard to describe it. It makes just talking about it has the hair standing up, up on the back of uh, my neck. But I will promise you this, Nate. This year at KOH 2020, when you line up, I promise you for the rest of your life, you will not forget who the guy was that you leave the line with. I will promise you that. For sure. For sure. It's magical. It is. I'm going to beat this guy for the next 30 seconds of my life. Yeah. When that light changes and when that flag drops, we're leaving together and I am going to beat this guy to that first turn no matter what. And, you know, you do or you don't, but you remember it. Absolutely. You guys power in. You do the driver change. You power into uh, your hammers day. It's not really – you don't really have an – 
I guess my right words for this is it wasn't an amazing or a not amazing day. You were just, it was your first race. This is your first race and you're cruising. You're at your own pace. You're, you guys really didn't have any problems until the very end of the day. Is that right? Our goal going into it, right? And I'll say that from the start line and just jumping into the car first, it was over. I mean, I, I've done some stuff in my life that adrenaline pumps and you get a spike of adrenaline jumping on airplanes, et cetera, et cetera. But man, this was something unreal. And just having, you know, having the the, uh, the overwhelming feeling of getting out there and actually doing this and the engine in your car revving and the fact that you're steering this thing and you're, you're strapped into this beast, right? And Brant, he still does a good job of it. He'll talk to me, you know, especially right after we start. Just, hey, a couple deep breaths, man. Let's go. Let's do this. We got this. We're going to get this right. And our strategy for this race was actually just to finish. That was just the the goal of, of our first KOH was if we can cross the finish line in time, that's a hell of a feat, right? Like that would be the best thing ever. And it's realistic. For first race in KOH, it's just, yeah. let's be real about it. And I think you were very realistic. And if you can go into an event like that and be realistic about where you're going to be right now. I think that you can be successful there, being realistic about it. So you guys make it all the way through the day, and you end up on, you're maybe 20-some miles out. You've got to go up outer limits, down spooners, and back to Maine for the finish. And you guys end up in outer limits, and you break. Front end. Yeah, so we end up uh, we end up about halfway up outer limits. Twisted monkey car is is in the center of the, the course there, and we go up to the right side of those guys, and we start trying to climb up alongside this right side outer limits, and end up taking out a rear drive shaft. End up wadding the drive shaft up pretty bad. We hit a rock really hard down at it, and then it, it spun out and beat beat itself to death on the rocks. Brant gets out, takes the drive shaft off, and we start winching up outer limits. We had some time left. We had some time left in the day. We thought we'd be able to winch up out of there and, and potentially change a drive shaft out and outer limits is a real deal if you've not been on that part of uh, the course before it's, it's definitely the real deal there's some uh, school bus sized rocks it's a it's a hell of a climb in front wheel drive only so brant was hooking rocks pulling winch line really trying to uh, to get us out of there a little bit later, Stan and Corey show up. So Stan Haynes and Corey Day in the 4408 car, Brannock Motorsports, they show up and Stan pulls over and uh, he lets us hook to him. And he pulls us. Is it still daylight or is it? Or is the sun setting at this point? It's probably pretty dark down in the canyons. Yeah, the sun's setting at this point. So there's shadows on the rock, which also is something I think, you know, as, as a new driver out there, something kind of weird is that with the shadows and what on rocks and before the drive shaft broke, there was even some, some shadows on the rocks. It actually makes you look like there's other rocks out there that aren't really there. You get like these phantom rock things that are there because of the shadows and the, the way the sun hits the landscape and the topography. It's uh, it's kind of a unique experience. The goal is to finish during the daylight hours, right? That is very apparent after you uh, after you're out there after the sun goes down. A lot it gets cold. It's much different. It's, yeah, it's, it's a much different environment. So Stan and Corey stop. Stan's like, hey man, hook onto me. I'll drag you. And he drug us a good part of the way, but again, outer limits, not a trail to be reckoned with too much. They they pulled us as far as they could, and I'm in the driver's seat of my car, and Stan's obviously driving his, and Stan comes over the radio and goes, hey, brother, love you to death, but... I got to go if I'm going to finish. And look, hey, Stan, rock on. I appreciate all the help. You know, thank you so much. We had a little bit of winching left to go. We ended up winching off of Outer Limits. It's pretty late in the day at this point. Sun's clearly down. And we're trying to make it back to 2B to get our spare drive shaft. So lesson learned here is we didn't carry the spare drive shaft on the car. That was, uh, was definitely a, an oversight and something we learned from the race. And then we needed to get back to 2B to get the uh, the drive shaft that had come from Maine out to 2B to put in the car. We get to 2B. We still have, I want to say we had like an hour and a half at this point before we would have timed out, maybe an hour and 45 minutes. We get to 2B. They swap the drive shaft out. Everything goes smooth. Again, huge shout out to Team Indiana for all showing up there and, and doing that so quickly. Take off out of 2B. We hit a couple whoops on the desert trail out of 2B and the drive shaft 
does something again at this point, and, and it, it starts beating around, and I hear it back there, just da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I look over Brant and said, man, we, we got an issue, right? And so Brant gets on the radio at that point and is like, hey, guys, do we tighten all the U-bolts? Do we tighten that drive shaft in? Something's wrong. They all said, yeah, should have been right, and it, it was. We get out and we look, and both sections of the drive shaft are still clearly bolted into their respective yoke, ended up separating the drive shaft. Unbeknownst to us, we uh, we didn't measure the drive shafts we had ordered, and uh, the ones that were sent weren't ours. They were actually for a different car, and it was too short. And so the drive shaft, every time we'd hit a whoop, it would just separate. We ended up uh, calling the race there, probably two miles out of 2B. Uh, limped it back in front wheel drive to the uh, to the main pit and uh, ended our race day there. Attention to detail. That's yeah. That's that's what kills it. I mean, you hear so often guys the race day ends because of a forty cent piece or a you know a one dollar breaker or and here you go. You actually you paid. You had the right. You thought you had the right piece, but that attention to detail to remeasure, pull it out. Their guys have done this for 10 years, and it still bites them. This was your first race, man, and you made it within 20 miles of the finish. You went further than probably 90% of the, 85% of the field on your first Fourier out. Dude, I'd be breaking my arm, patting myself on the back for that. I mean, it's it's not a finish. It's not where you wanted. Dude, you held through it. I mean, you, you had to buy a new truck on the way out there. You burn your trailer down. You make all these, you know, you had friends or you had acquaintances, and now they're really friends. You guys are like tight brothers now absolutely you're done man that, that's sad I, I know what goes through your head on that you know that that long drive back to maine and you're just like what could we have done wrong and then you spend weeks thinking about what you could have changed or done and man i at this point me looking out from the outside looking in on you i think you uh i think you did outstanding i'm i'm, I'm very very impressed but you you guys load up and you head back home and here you are we're at the end of basically almost the end of the the main race season for 2019, and you're sitting in the catbird seat as a rookie with uh, fourth in the East Points. That's yeah. not an insignificant place to be at this point in time. No, we're uh, we're really proud. I mean, and, and similar to KOH and where we're at now, I mean, it's a it's a team sport. You can do everything you want to do personally, but it truly takes the the group of people, your friends, your family, the people with you out there at the race every weekend that you go racing and uh, spending the time with you in the car and, and everything else. I mean, it's a it's a team sport, and we've got a hell of a lot of good people that support us and help us. From the Team Indiana guys, the Brandon guys, those are the guys that they've 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 gone out of their way all season to uh, to make us feel like we're part of their family, part of their team, and uh, they've really been a, a blessing to have as, as some help uh, not only getting to learn how to race and I, I tell you the advice these guys give you is, is is paramount i mean i i think that's probably one of the biggest things i've done this year is it's been in information overload but just trying to get as much extracted from all these guys that are are willing to give you some advice right and obviously uh being a maryland guy too i've got eric miller just down the down the road a bit and he's a he's another guy he, he and i've been texting a lot and calling each other a lot he's a he's a good dude to have as a as, as a resource too he's been super helpful with everything from helping me get my toter home registered and making an actual rv etc cetera, etc cetera. So that's a great segue into my next question for you. Now that you're a year in, you still have the guys that are providing you with advice that have multiple years in. But now that you have, this is fresh. You are fresh in this. What advice would you have for a rookie coming into this sport? What advice would you have for someone who wants to be involved in Ultra 4? What, what advice do you have for them? How do they get in? Not everyone can go jump in, you know, feet first, you know, fully immersed like you did, dive bomb into the sport like you have. 
how and what and why advice would you give to somebody in, in those shoes? Yeah, I would say that number one, do it, right? And and there's a lot of reasons why you can probably justify not doing it, but it is a game of, of give and takes unless you have some amazing ability to just be able to spend as much as you want in an unlimited budget, but but make some sacrifices if you need to that are, are, are worth it and go do it. Buy a race car of some sort, whether that's a, a side-by-side or a 4400 series car, go do it. Get yourself involved in it. And if you can't even do that, go join somebody's team, right? I mean, we all are looking for people all the time. If somebody walked up and said, hey, can I turn some wrenches on the car or work in a pit or, or, or hell, go pre-run with you? Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what this is about. Get involved in it. You'll get bit by it. And being involved in it in some capacity, like I said before, it's amazing. The friendships you make, people you meet, the friendship you make, it's unreal to be able to be part of something like this. And the sport's still in its infancy, right? I mean, it's been going on for a while now, but it's still in its infancy, right? I mean, the fact that a rookie like me can pick up the phone or send a DM to, to a guy like Randy Sloss and Eric Miller, those guys, it's 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 pretty cool to be able to have have the ability in a sport that there's nobody who who views themselves as being too far above you or not not wanting to help you out. It goes back to I think that mindset of just wanting to be able to help everybody out. I'd give people the advice to get into it, and then once you get into it, prep as much as you can. I mean, the drive shaft's one of the things. Brant and I and the team have made a. Uh, pretty exhaustive checklist now that we have in place and and learn from it, right? So while the KOH experience last year for us, for lack of a better word, sucked in many regards, it was awesome in so many others. We learned so much. And even throughout this race season, you know, we made mistakes every race. We, we make mistakes every time we go out and we reflect back on them. We watch GoPro footage. We talk about what we could have done better. We talk about what we could have prepped better. So I, I think the best thing to do in the sport is just keep learning, talk to people. Never be afraid to ask somebody if you don't know something either. I've asked hundreds of really dumb questions this year, but I feel a heck of a lot smarter now than I did sitting uh, sitting last year this time. I'm going to cap this on saying I challenge anyone to come out and come at me or come at you with a more adverse story on KOH. I just... I. I just struggle to believe that anyone who had the adversity thrown at them that you had this past year end up where you ended up. That, that says a lot about your character. You've had a lot of people around you that I've spoke to that have vouched for your character. And that's huge, man. I love to see you in the sport. Welcome to it. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the community. I love it. I love everything about your story. I was really happy to see that you ended up uh, fourth, you know, so far in the point series for the East. Probably going to close out there. Man, welcome. I, I hope we get other rookies like you. I hope more people come to the sport like you. Maybe they show up in UTV. Maybe they show up in 4,500, 4,800, you know, stock class or not necessarily 4,400. But there you are in 4,400 and the adversity that you've had to overcome. I challenge anyone to beat that. I mean, if someone says, oh, I can't get into it for that reason, or I can't get involved for that reason, I'm like, man, this guy over here, he set the, the bar so high on adversity that anyone can come in under that, man. And you're going to be, you're going to be successful. If this guy can be successful, you can too. Man, Nate, thank you for uh, sitting down with me on the talent tank today. Thank you for talking about. You know, what it took to get here, what it took to sit down with me today, really what's happened in the last year and how you've ended up in uh, our family. And I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time, man. Thanks for having me, Wyatt. Appreciate it. You made it. Another episode consumed. If you like the listen, please go give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcast and consider writing a quick review either there or over on the Facebook page. Thank you for tuning in to this wild dive into the talent tank. Wyatt, out. 
Thank you for listening and taking a dive into the Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at the Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.